If you, if you didn't already turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We're going to be there for a little bit. While you're getting there, uh, I just want to remind you a little bit about where we are. We've been in a series uh, really for the last month. We have been talking about uh, stories of encounters that people had with Jesus after the resurrection and before this day that we call Pentecost. And so we're actually going to celebrate Pentecost in just a couple of weeks. All of our series is really building up to Pentecost, the invitation to live in the power of the kingdom right here and now. And so we're looking at the other invitations that Jesus gives us to into the life in the kingdom on the way to the Pentecost invitation to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you just heard a little bit of that read to you today, um, and, and then we'll talk more about that a little bit later in a few weeks. But today we're talking about an invitation into something that you already do. So far in this series, we talked like last week about the invitation to the Great Commission to go and share the good news. And that was a challenging message. Um, I had somebody text me saying that was a hard message this week, Pastor. Uh, and thankfully, they also were saying, but it was good, too. So they weren't like saying it was a hard message. I'm leaving the church. They were saying it was a hard message, but it was good. Uh, and these are hard messages when we hear a challenge to do things that we don't always do. Today, we're talking about something that you already do. Okay, so take a little breath, look at your neighbor and say, oh, thank goodness, we're going to talk about something I already do. But you probably don't enjoy it. Just to be honest with you, we're talking about something you do, but something you probably don't do. In fact, we're going to talk about something that even though all of us do it, I don't know that many of us do it well. So you've already heard Sharon talk about it or reference it kind of indirectly in the teaching text today, but today we're talking about Jesus' invitation to wait. I know, right? We don't like to do it, but you do it. You're very familiar with waiting. In fact, there was a Timex survey that came out not too long ago that said the Americans wait an average of 20 minutes a day for the bus or the train if they take public transport, 32 minutes whenever they visit the doctor. You're going to wait about half an hour, 32 minutes. I just had to take one of my kids to the doctor. Yep, it was about 32 minutes of just sitting around waiting. It was tons of fun. 28 minutes in security lines whenever you travel. If you go to LAX, multiply that by a million, and you're halfway to how long you wait. 21 minutes for a significant other to get ready to go out. Husbands, do not look at your wife right now. Somebody just got in trouble. <clears throat> 13 hours annually, this is 13 hours a year, waiting on hold for customer service. The average person spends about 43 days on hold with automated customer service in their lifetime. You have given 43 days to Kenny G Music and a staticky recording of a lady saying, your call is important to us. <laughs> 43 days! That's not, that's not okay. On average, Americans wait 38 hours a year in traffic. Unless you're a commuter, bump that up to 50. Approximately 72 hours or three days a year, you will spend somewhere 
waiting in a line. Oh, that's, that's six months of your life waiting in a line. Don't you just need to be encouraged by the word of God today after hearing that? Oh, my goodness. So we, we do a significant amount of waiting, and most of it feels like we're waiting for insignificant stuff, right? I'm just waiting in line for the ATM, waiting in line at Starbucks, waiting in traffic so I can get to somewhere where when I get out of the place where I was waiting in traffic, there's a good chance I'm going to have to wait more when I get to where I was waiting to get to. But we also wait for significant things, right? Like we wait to graduate school, we wait to get a job. Once you have a job, you usually wait to get a better job. We wait for marriage, we wait to have kids, and then we have kids and we wait for them to graduate and move out and get a job and have kids. And the cycle of waiting just seems to follow us wherever we go in our lives. Whether it is for large things or small things, significant moments, or just routine parts of our lives, we are constantly waiting. And yet, even though we are so experienced in it, we seem to be terrible at it. Okay, let's, let's try this. Turn to a neighbor real quick and just give an example to a neighbor of a thing that you have had to wait for. Whether it was a significant thing in your life, a big moment, or just something that you wanted and you had to wait for it. Maybe you didn't get it right away. Turn to somebody near you and just tell them a quick story, just like in 30 seconds or less, something that you have had to wait for, just so that your neighbor knows that they're not alone in their having to wait. Go ahead and tell them what this one time I had to wait for and then just tell them. Yeah. Okay, if you're the husband that just got in trouble a minute ago, be very careful in what you say you had to wait for just now. Be wise. <laughs> All right, let me give you a couple of examples of times that I had to wait. I remember when I was a kid, I had to wait to get a Sega Genesis. All right, I saved up money for over a year of my life. That's, that's two periods of time of, of the amount of time you spend waiting in line over the course of your life, six months, I did that at least twice, just saving up money so that I could buy a Sega Genesis, all right? I remember I saved my money for over a year, and then one crisp January day, my mother drove me to Toys R Us in Lancaster, and I walked up to the counter like I was a king among boys. <laughs> and I gently laid that Sega Genesis box that came with the very special game Sonic Spinball included. Remember Sonic Spinball? Laid that on the counter and I looked at the Toys R Us teller like I owned Toys R Us. And I said, I'll be taking this home with me today. This wasn't recently, it was more like, I'll be taking this home with me today. And I paid my own money that I had saved for the Sega Genesis. And I remember going home and setting up that Sega Genesis and plugging in the game, Sega! And the Sonic music played and the, I played Sonic Spinball for hours. And my brother wanted to play. And I looked at him, and I said, maybe you shouldn't have wasted your money on frivolous things. 
your impatience has not paid off. You see, you seem to misunderstand the relationship that we have in this moment. This Sega Genesis belongs to me. I paid for every penny of this Sega Genesis. This is 100% my property. And if you'd like to play the Sega Genesis, you're just going to have to wait. And then he waited for about 30 seconds, and then he punched me, and then he got to play. <laughs> Nothing about that moment was fair, but it is how it happened. I grew up a very little bit, and a few years later, uh, I started dating this girl, and I fell in love with her very, very quickly. And I told her very early on in our relationship as a 15-year-old boy that I was going to marry her, which sounds crazy, except that after four long years of waiting, standing right here in this exact spot that I'm standing right now, I said some vows to that girl, and I married her. After four years of waiting, I got married to the love of my life. You, you heard her share some announcements with you today. She did a great job. She's a phenomenal wife. She's an incredible mother. I'm so thankful to God every single day that I waited to marry that girl. It's been good. I remember sometime in that journey that we were dating, I was about 17 years old, and I was standing on this exact stage, somewhere around this place. There was an actual pulpit, not just a pub table, because, you know, it's a, not a weird church like it is now. Uh, back in the day, they had an actual pulpit uh, here. And I was standing behind the actual pulpit, and I was preaching one of my very first sermons on a Wednesday night that I had ever preached in my entire life. And I remember feeling like... It went terribly, because it went terribly. I had a lot of learning and growing to do about how to preach a sermon. And afterwards, I remember sitting down in this exact spot right here. After the whole room had been cleared out, I was sitting right here. And I was just saying to God, God, I really want to do this for the rest of my life. And at 17 years old was the first time that God said to me, Tim, one day you're going to be the senior pastor of this church. And 15 years later, we had a service where we merged a church that we had planted called Life Church into this church, Lancaster Foursquare Church, which at the time was known as Living Way Foursquare Church. And we took all of that history of these Lancaster Foursquare Church, Living Way, and Life Church, we merged it all to, together in, a, in an event we called Converge. And we created something new that was this version of this thing called Life Church. And after 15 years of waiting, standing on this stage, Pastor Jan Spencer, who was the pastor here for over 30 years, the longest tenured senior pastor in the history of this church, which is almost 100 years long, handed me a blue baton and said, now you get to run as the senior pastor of this church. I've waited for a lot of stuff. Some of it is incredibly significant. Some of it was a Sega. 
but I'm familiar with waiting. Most of the time that I was waiting, if I'm honest, even though I've got a lot of powerful stories about waiting, I just haven't been good at waiting. I've been impatient. I've given up on dreams. And even the 15-year the waiting process between the day God first told me I would senior pastor this church and the day that it actually became my present reality, there were many times when I thought, I definitely messed that up. That's never going to happen. Oh, God, I'm just going to give up on that dream altogether. And God was the one who was more faithful, just like we sang today, to his promise than I was. And I had to learn what it meant to wait. And so today I just want to talk a little bit about waiting because for 2,000 years, God's people have been waiting for something very significant. There will be a day that Jesus will return for his church. There will be a day where we won't have to wait for anything ever again. We will just get to live in the eternal presence of God forever. But today we wait. We're still waiting. Uh, Jesus promised the the blessing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And for about 10 more days after this promise was given that Sharon read to you a few minutes ago, uh, for about 10 more days, the disciples had to wait. We'll talk a little bit about what that waiting was like for them. We don't have to wait for that anymore, but we are still waiting. In fact, you might not just be waiting for Jesus to come back. You might be waiting for something else that is significant in your life. You might be waiting for a relationship. You might be waiting for a broken relationship to heal. You might be waiting for physical brokenness to heal. You might be waiting for a specific way that God is going to provide for you, and you're asking for him and waiting to see, God, why haven't you provided for me yet? Why haven't you done the miracle for me yet? And your waiting might feel insignificant or incredibly significant. You might feel like you don't deserve it or you've messed up God's promise and you're just waiting to see when God is finally going to pour out all of his wrath on you, can I just tell you, you don't have to wait for that. That part's not coming for those who are in Christ Jesus, but there are good things coming. And today, I just want to give you a few ideas on how we can be people who learn to wait well, because we are bad at it. Let me give you a little bit more evidence as to why it is that we are just so bad at waiting. You know, we live in a generation that has dedicated ourselves, it seems at times almost exclusively, to trying to root out waiting from our lives. We're constantly trying to uh, update our speed of things. I, w- I was looking at some waiting statistics, and you know, back about 10 years ago, you know what the, the thing that they said was a really interesting waiting statistic? Was the amount of time that we spend every day waiting for videos to load. And then I paused for a moment. I thought, I can't actually remember the last time that I really had to wait for a video to load. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Hallelujah. And then every now and then my Wi-Fi gets a little wonky. And I go, oh, no one has suffered as much as I have since the Jews. I, I, I absolutely... And being tortured right now or having to wait 30 seconds to watch this meaningless video on YouTube. I got a spinning image on Instagram the other day and I had to call my therapist. It's actually a term for this now. It's called time anxiety. See, in 2020, the National Institute for Health wrote generally this about anxiety. They said, anxiety often involves a split of attention. Instead of, a, instead of focusing on 
the present, some of our awareness wanders off to other things, looming deadlines, relationship conflict, friendship drama, and so on. And Dr. Alex Lickerman, who's a physician practicing MD, he's a professor of medicine, he's also an author, he writes this about time anxiety. He says, time anxiety can lead to a preoccupation with being late. It can provoke a desire to rush from one place to the next, often without reason. Can, time anxiety can cause you to be distracted with work during times of rest and vacation. If your time anxiety relates to big picture concerns, you might feel like you've missed the turnoff for certain paths. If you haven't successfully achieved certain milestones that you've expected to reach by a certain age, like marriage, world travel, or a certain career move, you might be worrying that you'll never catch up. And the real kicker, the interesting, the irony here, is that the, this fixation on the passage of time can overwhelm you to the point that you fail to see ways you could actually achieve these goals. All of this can be related or rooted in a, uh, in a deeper level of anxiety. Maybe you have an anxiety about the fear of living without purpose or a general need to please other people and, and so on and so on. Uh, anxiety or time anxiety is a, a big part of the reason why when we are asked to wait for something, we feel like, I don't have the time. I'm anxious about this. Our world produces anxiety about having to wait, and yet this is exactly what Jesus invites us to do. Because he, he wants us to know that we're a part of something big, something important, maybe even something bigger than ourselves. Charles Stanley once said, our willingness to wait reveals the value we place on what we are waiting for. We all have to wait for all kinds of things. Some of them feel insignificant. But when we are doing something that we would call the practice or the discipline of waiting on God, what we're ultimately waiting for is good, and it's worth it. So our question should not be, how do we overcome waiting? But rather, how do we learn to wait well? So if we were to talk about how we can wait well as the people of God, I think we would have to begin with being invited into understanding purpose and engaging purpose. This would be the first point of this message today, that we are invited into purpose. We've talked about this throughout this entire series. It kind of seems almost as if there's this thread that runs through all of the invitations of Jesus, that there is something I want you to produce. I have a purpose for you to produce. And I wonder if you were here last Sunday, if you might be able to tell somebody what it is that you're supposed to produce. It's disciples, isn't it? I heard the whisper. It's disciples. The answer is disciples. He's talking about making disciples. Last week, we talked about how the Great Commission is an invitation for us to make something that at Life Church we call disciple-making disciple-makers. Not just a disciple, but people who know how to make disciples. And it's your job to make those people, to produce, to be a part of God's purpose of producing disciples. This is an important work in connection to our waiting because, well, actually, maybe this will help you. Uh, have you ever heard of the modern proverb, a watched pot never boils? 
They hate this phrase. But here's what it means. It's annoying. It, it bothers me, but it's kind of true. A watch pot never boils is a reminder that if you set water to boil and you just stare at it, you know what happens to the passage of time while you're just staring at the water and waiting for it to boil? Time slows down. When I woke up at 4 o'clock this morning and I set water on the kettle and I ground my coffee and I set the coffee grounds there and I just stared at the kettle waiting for it to begin to whistle. I was sitting there for hours. <laughs> Hurry up, I'm tired. I really don't want to just keep sitting here, Lord. Make the water boil faster. You can, come on, it's Sunday. Do a miracle. The water finally boiled. Oh, finally. Gosh, how many more gray hairs do I have now that I had to wait for this water? It was like three minutes. So impatient. God gives us the work of producing disciples, not only for this reason, but I think in part so that we would have something to do that is worth doing while we are doing the waiting. We're all waiting for the glorious return of the King of Kings, and it feels like we've been waiting forever. Did you know every single generation has talked themselves into believing that we are the generation that Jesus is coming back? I remember talking to my mom, who grew up in Germany, uh, about what it was like in the post-World War II Germany. And she says, one of the things, among many other things that she told me, was that there was a, a groundswell of Christians in that time who were convinced that Jesus was coming back right now. I mean, look at Adolf Hitler. And if he was right now, you, were, you would be absolutely convinced this is it. He's coming back. Maybe that feels like too distant of a memory. Just maybe, let's think only back to 2020. I talked to people who were convinced that they knew who the Antichrist was and that Jesus was coming back before today. I mean, the number of prophetic words that I heard. This is it. We've got like months left. Jesus is coming back. There's no other way. Have you seen what so-and-so is doing? It's funny how those prophecies, the goalposts keep moving. And yet it's interesting that we keep looking out to like try to figure out, oh, Jesus is coming back right now. Jesus is coming back right now. We figured out the we figured it out. We figured it out, guys. And we spent so much energy figuring it out, turning out to be wrong, just like every other generation before us and so little energy producing disciples so that when Jesus comes back, there would actually be some who would be ready if he comes back right now or if he comes back in 30 years or in 300 years or longer. The point of all of this is that we have work to do. We have been given a job to do something in the waiting. We are not just supposed to sit around and wait for Jesus to come back. If you are waiting, time will feel stagnant and slow. 
And so maybe today you're waiting for some kind of miracle. Maybe you're waiting for God to heal something in your life. Or, or, or maybe you're waiting for God to provide for you in some way. And I would just invite you into the work of producing something in God's kingdom. That is outside of yourself. Because we were given a work. Jesus did not give this work to people who weren't going to have to wait for him to return. And he didn't give this work to people who had it all figured out. Working for kingdom production is a gift for us in at least two ways. Number one, because it gives us a greater work to focus on while we wait for the personal work that God wants us, that we want God to do in our lives. And then number two, because it offers us a reminder that we're a part of something larger than ourselves. So the longer that we wait for Jesus' return, the more that this is actually a gift of time for us to prepare the world for his return. Think for a brief moment about someone you know who is not walking in relationship with Jesus right now. Today has been a gift of time. What could you do before you lay your head down on the pillow tonight to extend the love of Christ to that person? Because this might be one of the reasons why we woke up today. So that we could have a little bit more time waiting for the return, working in the waiting, preparing and producing the fruit of a growing kingdom. And the fruit of that growing kingdom is more disciples. This is exactly why the, these angels showed up and responded to the disciples the way that they did in Acts chapter 1. There's, the disciples are standing there looking up at the clouds. Jesus says, I'm coming back, and they go, cool. It's been a minute. A watched cloud will never return the Son of God. He, the angels show up and say, get to work, guys. Remember the thing that he told you to do. And they say that all by asking questions. What are you doing staring at the clouds? It's like the question sparked a memory. Oh, that's right. We shouldn't be doing this. We should be working. There's work to be done. There was another thing that they needed to do as well, we'll talk about in just a minute. But we have to understand, the disciples didn't respond back and go, well, what do you mean, what are we looking at the clouds for? We're looking for Jesus to come back. They heard their question and said, oh my goodness, I understand this question. This is an invitation to be producing something of the kingdom in our waiting. By the way, Paul calls this working the ministry of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is Christ, God, was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he, committed, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. In other words, we have this ministry of reconciling people to God just like we ourselves were reconciled to God. And Paul goes on, he says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. So we should actually be pleading with people rather than pacing while we are waiting for Jesus to return. This should infuse our waiting with a sense of urgency. If Jesus did come back tomorrow, 
Who do you know that's not in relationship with Jesus? And I'm not saying if they go to hell and don't make it into heaven, that that's your fault. But today it is your responsibility. This is the work. We're now four messages into this series, and I haven't been able to not preach about making disciples in any of these sermons. This is the work. This is the ultimate invitation. But then Jesus also gives us another invitation because as much as there is an outward working while we are waiting to produce disciples, there's also something that God wants to do in our lives as well. And this is the invitation to persevere. There's something of perseverance here, an invitation to allow God to do something inside of you. John Ortberg writes that biblically, waiting is not just something we have to do until we get what we want. Waiting is part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. And James actually wrote about this process of becoming in chapter 1 of his book, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So it turns out that waiting is actually good for you. It actually grows you up. It actually helps you to mature. Interestingly enough, it actually keeps us humble as well. See, when life doesn't go according to my plan, I get this subtle reminder that I'm not actually living in my world. When life doesn't work out in the timing that I want it to, and I have to wait 15 years to get the promise of one day you will senior pastor this church, 15 years, a decade and a half of waiting. There were a lot of days when I said, God, why isn't this story panning out in the timing and in the way that I wrote it when you gave me that promise when I was 17. And he says, son, this was never your story. And it was never your timeline. I'll do what I'm going to do in your life when I'm going to do it. And the time between now and when it happens will be good for you. I hope that you learn something in the process. And I come back to Jesus humbled. (laughs) God, I forgot. The story's not actually about me. I'm not the hero. I'm just a guy. I'm just a son. I'm just waiting for you to do your work. Waiting becomes a gift. I remember something that Jan Spencer said to me shortly after he handed me the baton and I became the senior pastor and we talked about our long journey. I was on this staff here at the church and we moved to Arizona and then we moved back and we were on staff at the Highlands in Palmdale and we planted a church and all of that happened in the 15 years between the 17-year-old and the guy who got the baton. And Jan said to me, he said, you know, Tim, it's funny because when when we were talking about you becoming the senior pastor and then you left, we all thought, like, okay, that's not going to happen. But it turns out that you wouldn't have become the man you needed to be to take this church and be the senior pastor of this church if God didn't bring you on a journey that looked like leaving and coming back and serving somewhere else, planting a church, and doing the merge. And I thought, how redemptive is God? That even in the moments when it looks like it was never going to happen, that God was doing something in me to prepare me to become who I needed to be to do what he had promised that he would do. 
You see, if he had given me this church to senior pastor when I was 17, if I had been sitting here on the stage like this and God said, one day you're going to be the senior pastor of the church, and that was a Wednesday night, and then that Sunday I was standing here, handed a baton, I'm just telling you right now, you wouldn't be sitting here listening to this sermon. I don't know if it would have been because I had burned the building down or just offended everyone and you would all let, like, some of you would have never met me. And it probably would have been for the better. I was not ready. I mean, if I'm honest, some days, t- some days I'm not sure I'm still ready. I'm so glad that God made me wait. I'm so glad. I'm so thankful. Waiting keeps us humble. Waiting gives us time to grow. You see, mature Christians can wait well because they know that in the waiting, they don't actually lack anything. I I actually have all that I need. This is what James says. The more mature you grow, the more you can realize that in your waiting and your persevering and your developing of your faith and even in what feels like trials, I don't lack anything. Waiting also helps us not just to be humble, but to be present in the moment that we're in. I've wasted so many moments, so many right nows, being anxious about a not yet. Adele Calhoun in her book, uh, on the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, she writes this about the discipline of waiting. She says, God's people learn to wait with God in the present moment. Because that is the only place God is found. The past, with its regrets, is irretrievably gone. The future, with its what-ifs, is out of our control. But now, right now, it is possible to be with God. It is possible to wait and say yes to God in what is. Waiting is where we learn to get our timing in this traffic, our disappointment in this decision uh, sorry, it's, it's where we learn to let go of our timing in the traffic and our disappointment in the decision, our hurt in this comment. Waiting is where we learn to let go of our control and expectations and trust that God is good no matter what is happening. Waiting allows me to learn to exercise the muscle of being here, right now, present with you. The beautiful thing about God is that he's always going to be there. He's, he exists outside of time. There's never been a moment in my life where he wasn't with me. But the problem has been with me when I've been not present because I was living in the past feeling regret over something I did or didn't do. Or living in the future being anxious about something that I cannot control whether or not it even will happen. Man, the number of conversations that I've had in my brain with people who aren't even standing in front of me and not been present with God. Anybody? The number of arguments I've had in my mind in preparation for an argument that I was going to have in the future that I wonder what God would have said to me if he was the one who was allowed to talk in that moment. The number of times I got wrapped up in a dream and didn't put in the work to even live into the dream because I was so wrapped up in something that wasn't yet. Waiting is a gift of being present. 
So when we wait, we commit to the work of producing disciples and we allow perseverance to grow up as we keep our faith in God. And then finally, when we wait, we are invited to pray. If we come back to the story in the book of Acts, we actually see that the, the disciples, uh, again, they were caught up in staring into the clouds, right? And, and then these two angels show up and they correct them. And, and here, here's the part that Sharon didn't read to you earlier. If we pick up the story in verse 12, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived... They went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, not that one, Judas, the son of James. They were all continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. See, this is a, a specific time of, of waiting in, in this historical moment. It lasted about 10 days until the Holy Spirit was, was sent by Jesus. Again, we don't have to wait for that. If you actually do wait for two Sundays, though, we'll talk about that on Pentecost Sunday. Uh, but you don't have to wait at all for the sending of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for that. Uh, but there are a lot of other things that we do wait for, and this moment teaches us one of the most powerful things that we can do while we are waiting. Pray. In fact, this story highlights at least two things that I think are important about prayer. And we'll just look into the story. The first thing that we see here that I think is worth paying attention to is that these people prayed in community. You see, Luke offers a specific list of names, right? These are disciples. These are followers of Jesus. And then actually he adds the women were present because women are always included in the work of God. Okay, not the sermon I'm preaching, but if anyone tells you that women are second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven or in the world in any way, they're just wrong. Okay, So the women were present. Jesus' brothers were present, and then Mary gets specifically named as a guest of honor, and I love that. But, but prayer in this moment is, is given to us in this framework to teach us, among all of the other things that we could teach about prayer, in this moment to teach us that prayer is not only meant for times where we are alone. Prayer is not an exclusively isolated practice. In other, in other words, you, we, a lot of times we talk about Jesus tells us to go into our prayer closet and don't let anyone hear the things that we're praying. Just get into the private place and pray. And there's actually a lot of Western church culture that says, you know, your relationship with Jesus is you come into community just to listen to a sermon and then everything else is kind of, you know, private matter. And yet this refutes that outright, doesn't it? The very first prayer gathering after the resurrection of Christ, the very first recorded prayer gathering, the very first recorded prayer after the resurrection of Christ is communal. The disciples are together so much between the resurrection and Pentecost. And they were praying a lot. They were there for 10 days praying. Prayer is just as much communal as it is personal. 
By the way, Jesus emphasizes this point in Matthew 18. He says, truly, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything or any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven, where two or three are gathered together in my name. I am there among them. So if you are in a season of waiting, which in the meta sense, we all are, right? We're all waiting for the return of Christ. But if you're specifically in a season of waiting in your life, something you're waiting for God to do in or through or for you, bring that waiting into community. Ask, invite friends to pray with you and for you. And then you be a voice of prayer for them as they are waiting as well. And then the other thing, not only just that prayer is communal, that it's worth highlighting here, is Something that I honestly didn't want to see in this text, because I had a whole idea about how I was going to wrap up this sermon, and then I started writing it, and I, I was like, oh man, this doesn't end the way I kind of wanted it to. And, the, and the, the thing that we have to highlight here is that there's no prayer script here. Let me tell you the truth. What I wanted here was a Lord's Prayer moment. You remember that moment where the disciples come and say, Lord, teach us to pray, and then he gives us what we know as the Lord's Prayer? And then for generations, we've been bound up in feeling like if you're going to pray, you have to pray these words. Maybe not so much in our context, but I talk a lot of people who grew up in more kind of liturgical environments, particularly even coming out of Catholic environments, have said, all I knew about prayer was just reciting the Lord's Prayer. And yet here, there's no script given for prayer. And it, and it doesn't seem as if what was being prayed about was, well, how many times can you recite the Lord's Prayer in 10 days? No, you would imagine, what are they praying about? The Messiah died, and they weren't sure that he really was the Messiah for a hot minute. And then he shows up and hangs out with them for a while. 40 days they're hanging out with Jesus, and he's reminding them about his teachings, probably talking to them about the future. He probably told them things that they were anticipating and thinking about. There was this whole business about the Holy Spirit. It might take you a couple of days to want to pray about that. What is that? What's going to happen? God, do your will. Build this thing called the church, whatever that is. You said this thing one time about how your, your, your people would would always like win at the end and and the gates of hell wouldn't succeed and you said all of this stuff god what was that they were probably praying for understanding they were probably praying for peace in the middle of a world that they knew was going to hate them if they were going to follow the name of the person that was killed not too long ago there's no script and I really wanted there to be a script because I felt like I would have been such a good preacher if I had said, now for the next seven days until we see each other again, let's all commit to this practice where we recite this prayer together. It's going to be so good. And we're just going to trust that in the waiting, God is going to do a working. And it's, I mean, like, see how I had it all mapped out? And then I got to this part of the story and I went, oh, there's no script. And then something clicked. I felt like there's something of the Holy Spirit saying, you know what, I actually didn't want you to know what they prayed, because if you had known what they had prayed in that waiting moment, you'd be tempted to just pray that instead of what you need to pray right now in your own waiting moment. So maybe it's good that there's no script in this moment. Maybe it's good that there isn't a Lord's Prayer, that he doesn't record what they prayed, but Luke records that they prayed. 
in community. What did they pray? I have no idea. But it lasted for 10 days. And can I ask you a challenging question because I love you? When was the last time you prayed for 10 minutes? I don't have a script for you, but that would be my challenge. Do you think you could set a timer this week and pray for 10 minutes? No? Start with one. Oh, oh and, you, and you don't know how to pray. You've never done this before. 10 minutes? That sounds terrifying. Awesome. Don't do it alone. If, if you and five people, if five people got together and said, we're going to pray for 10 minutes, five of us, you realize you now only have to pray for two? But you would have prayed together for 10? You're welcome. Or if, you're, or if you're in a group of friends and one of you knows how to pray and the other ones of you don't know how to pray, you know what you do? You get in a room and you say, teach me to pray. And you know how that person would teach you to pray? Probably the way they learned how to pray is they listened to somebody pray, so you would just listen to them pray. This is how I learned how to pray. My mom prayed out loud in front of me. She prayed in English. Once in a blue moon, she would pray in German. And then she prayed in tongues. It's called praying in the Spirit. We'll talk about that soon. I promise we'll talk about that soon. Take Elizabeth here out to a, a lunch, cup of coffee, buy her a meal, invest in learning, and say, teach me to pray. Ask Marcus, when are you praying? Can I get in the room with you when you pray? By the way, this man right now is dreaming about how to make prayer so infectious in our lives that he even said, you know, I don't care if we have to start doing it on Zoom. We're going to start having prayer meetings regularly in our church. So, so if you are interested in having a prayer meeting, but you can't get to the place where Marcus is so he can help you to learn how to pray, let him know, hey, I'd like to be on a Zoom meeting so that we can learn how to pray. Look at that. There's so much about the way that I was taught how to do church as I was coming up that was so good and so structured and so beautiful. And I'm so tempted to make something good and structured and beautiful so that you can walk out of here and practice praying. And I just want to resist that. I think for the ways that you're going, that sounds really hard. I have to get in the room and admit out loud that I don't know how to pray. Yeah, welcome to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus didn't give his disciples a pass. I don't think that we should give ourselves a pass. We have to pray. Look, we don't have an option to not pray. And my prayer this week is going to be, God, make us a people who are passionate about prayer. But it will not come if I give you a script. It will come in the context of community, in the context of desperation for Jesus to do something in our lives and through our lives. The reason they could pray for 10 days is because they had no other hope. We live in a world that is designed to cause us to run from one thing to the next. We are constantly 
rushing. And when we get to where we have rushed, we are waiting for the thing that we rush to that turns out is probably not of any eternal significance. In the middle of all of that, we're thinking about the next thing that we have to go to. And we spend so much time bouncing from one thing to the next, being entertained or engaging in commodities or blah, 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 all of the stuff that the world has to offer and none of it produces people of prayer. And I love that there is no script because something about there not being a script here seems to dismantle a lie that most of us fight. It's this lie that says, I don't have the right words. I'm not eloquent. I haven't been a Christian long enough. And I would just say to you that you are invited in to prayer. Jesus wants to hear from you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So the next time you're in line at the grocery store, pray. And and pray for that life-changing breakthrough to come as well when you're contending. Pray in community and pray when you're by yourself. Pray audacious prayers, asking God to move mountains and cure disease. And pray humble prayers, surrendering to God's will in his timeline. And pray prayers of thanksgiving and celebration, just like you pray prayers of confession and prayers of frustration. Pray about everything, all the time, in every moment. Your words don't need to be eloquent. They need to be honest, and they need to be offered to God in prayer. The fact that we are not given a script in this moment should encourage us. And then while we move to concluding this moment together today, I just want to share with you one thing that I wasn't actually planning on sharing, but I felt like the Lord highlighted this to me while we were in worship today. And it would just be this final thought in Romans chapter 8. Starting in verse 24, it says, now, this is the ho- this, now in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. As we wait, Paul is encouraging the church in Rome, and he's encouraging us to wait, knowing that we're waiting for the one true God. We're waiting with expectation that God is good, he is powerful, and he is for us. He goes on and he says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Paul is encouraging the church in Rome, and he's encouraging us today that as we wait, become people who pray in the Spirit. This means that we would pray God's will and we would pray God's words. If you have questions about what does it mean to pray in the Spirit, you can talk to one of our leaders. We would love to have a conversation with you about what in the world does it mean to pray in the Spirit. But fundamentally, it means two things, that you would pray God's Scripture, not your will, that you would pray the Word and the will of God, and that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that God may very well give you what he promised to pour out on all flesh, his Holy Spirit, and one of the signs of those who are filled with the Spirit is that they would pray in new tongues. 
But again, we'll talk about that. If you have questions, ask us, and we will answer your questions while you're waiting for us to preach the sermon that's going to be about that. And, And let me finish this thought here, is that Paul also says, we know, this is Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Paul is saying to the church in Rome, and he's saying to us today, when you're done praying and you're still waiting, you get to know. You get to know that all things will work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. If you love God, you are called according to his purpose. And so all things will work out for your good. Maybe not the way you wanted it or the way you wrote it. Maybe not in the timing that you want it or the way that you designed it to happen. But it will always be good. And so when you pray, you can pray with expectant hope. You can pray in the Spirit, and when you're done praying, you can give over your anxiety and your impatience to God. And by the way, if when you are finished praying about a thing, you are not less anxious you're not finished praying yet. So come back to prayer, and that's okay. Pray until you don't need to pray anymore, which just for the record will not happen in this life. <laughs> so pray always about everything, every day. And while we pray, ultimately we submit our lives back to God, to his will, to his timing. And so here's how I want to wrap up this service. Normally we would do announcements here at the end of our service. You've already heard all of the announcements that we have to share with you today. I want to invite you to just take a brief moment. And then I'm going to conclude our gathering here today or this service portion today by praying a blessing over you. What I want you to do is just take one minute. And a little bit ago... Earlier in our service, I asked you if you would turn to somebody near you and tell them one thing that you have had to wait for. Now I want to invite you to turn to somebody near you and just ask them to pray for you about something that you are waiting for. If you can't think of something, then your prayer could be, I'm waiting to become more like Jesus. That that is a perfectly significant prayer today. But you might actually have an area of your life where you would say, I have a need and I'm going to ask someone in the church to pray for me today. There's no script. Just turn and pray. I'll call you back in just about a minute so that we can wrap up this moment in our service. I'll pray a blessing over you, and then I'll give you some final instructions. But would you just turn right now, tell somebody real quick, here is something I'm waiting for. Here's something I'm asking God to do in my life. And then just pray a quick blessing over the person who told you. Go ahead and pray for one another. You can do it. Awesome. Good. Just take another moment, finish up this time of prayer. As you are finishing this moment of prayer, I want to encourage you, this is how you do it. This, it is this simple. To engage in the work, in the waiting. The next opportunity that you get, the next person that you see that has a need, just simply say, can I, can I pray with you about that? Can we bring this to Jesus while we're waiting? Right now, can we talk to God about this? It is this simple. My prayer for you is that you would not be overwhelmed by the work of making disciples, bringing people to Jesus. Now, again, like I said, normally we would end a sermon. I would pray a blessing over you. 
somebody would come and give you some announcements. We've done all of that business today. So today I'm going to pray a blessing over you. And then you're going to be, you're going to be dismissed. But our gathering doesn't have to end here. In fact, I'm going to ask Elizabeth if she would go to that wall right there in the back to my left. And I'm going to have uh, Marcus uh, head over this way to my right. And they're just going to be there ready to talk to you. If you have questions about anything that we've said today, if you have questions about a relationship with Jesus, we would love to talk with you, pray with you, connect with you, celebrate with you, all of that. So hang out, talk, pray, make lunch plans. As soon as I say amen, you can get to all of that work. But let me pray this blessing over you. May your plans be frustrated enough that you have sufficient cause to practice the discipline of waiting. May your work produce kingdom fruit enough that you do not grow weary. May you persevere enough that you have time to become everything that God intended you to become. May your prayers be answered enough that you remain fully dependent on God in all things. May you be blessed overflowingly so that you may also be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.